Section 10 of Essays, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Malone. Essays, Book 3, by Michel de Montaigne. Translated by Charles Cotton. Upon a few verses of Virgil. Curiosity is vicious throughout, but tis pernicious here. Tis folly to examine into a disease for which there is no physic that does not inflame and make it worse, of which the shame grows still greater and more public by jealousy, and of which the revenge more wounds our children than it heals us. You wither and die in the search of so obscure a proof. How miserably! Have they of my time arrived at that knowledge who have been so unhappy as to have found it out? If the informer does not at the same time apply remedy and bring relief, tis an injurious information, and that better deserves a stab than the lie. We no less laugh at him who takes pains to prevent it than at him who is a cuckold and knows it not. The character of cuckold is indelible. Who once has it, carries it to his grave. The punishment proclaims it more than the fault. It is to much purpose to drag out of obscurity and doubt our private misfortunes, thence to expose them on tragic scaffolds, and misfortunes that only hurt us by being known. For we say a good wife or a happy marriage, not that they really are so, but because no one says to the contrary. Men should be so discreet as to evade this tormenting and unprofitable knowledge, and the Romans had a custom, when returning from any expedition, to send home before to acquaint their wives with their coming, that they might not surprise them. And to this purpose it is that a certain nation has introduced a custom that the priest shall on the wedding day open the way to the bride, to free the husband from the doubt and curiosity of examining in the first assault, whether she comes a virgin to his bed, or has been at the trade before. But the world will be talking. I know a hundred honest men cuckolds, honestly and not unbeseemingly. A worthy man is pitied, not disesteemed for it. Order it so that your virtue may conquer your misfortune, that good men may curse the occasion, and that he who wrongs you may tremble but to think on't. And moreover, who escapes being talked of at the same rate, from the least even to the greatest? Tot qui legionibus imperativit, et malior quam tu multis fuit improbe rebus. Many who have commanded legions, many a man much better far than you, you rascal. Lucretius 3, 1039-1041. Seest thou how many honest men are reproached with this in thy presence? Believe that thou art no more spared elsewhere. But the very ladies will be laughing too. And what are they so apt to laugh at in this virtuous age of ours as at a peaceable and well-composed marriage? 
each amongst you has made somebody cuckold. And nature runs much in parallel in compensation and turn for turn. The frequency of this accident ought long since to have made it more easy. Tis now passed into custom. Miserable passion, which has this also, that it is incommunicable. Forzetium nostris invidit questibus aures. Fortune also refuses ear to our complaints. Catullus 47. For to what friend dare you entrust your griefs, who, if he does not laugh at them, will not make use of the occasion to get a share of the quarry? The sharps, as well as the sweets of marriage, are kept secret by the wise. And amongst its other troublesome conditions, this, to a parting fellow as I am, is one of the chief, that custom has rendered it indecent and prejudicial to communicate to any one all that a man knows and all that a man feels. To give women the same counsel against jealousy would be so much time lost. Their very being is so made up of suspicion, vanity, and curiosity that to cure them by any legitimate way is not to be hoped. They often recover of this infirmity by a form of health much more to be feared than the disease itself. For, as there are enchantments that cannot take away the evil but by throwing it upon another, they also willingly transfer this ever to their husbands, when they shake it off themselves. And yet I know not, to speak truth, whether a man can suffer worse from them than their jealousy. Tis the most dangerous of all their conditions, as the head is of all their members. Pittacus used to say, Plutarch on Contentment, Chapter 2, that everyone had his trouble, and that his was the jealous head of his wife, but for which he should think himself perfectly happy. A mighty inconvenience, sure, which could poison the whole life of so just, so wise, and so valiant a man. What must we other little fellows do? The Senate of Marseilles had reason to grant him his request, who begged leave to kill himself that he might be delivered from the clamor of his wife. For it is a mischief that is never removed but by removing the whole piece, and that has no remedy but flight or patience, though both of them very hard. He was, methinks, an understanding fellow who said twas a happy marriage betwixt a blind wife and a deaf husband. Let us also consider whether the great and violent severity of obligation we enjoin them does not produce two effects contrary to our design, namely, whether it does not render the pursuants more eager to attack, and the women more easy to yield. For as to the first, by raising the value of the place we raise the value and the desire of the conquest. Might it not be Venus herself who so cunningly enhanced the price of her merchandise by making the laws of her bauds, knowing how insipid a delight it would be that was not heightened by fancy and hardness to achieve? In short, tis all swine's flesh, varied by sauces, as Flaminius's host said. Cupid is a roguish god, 
who makes it his sport to contend with devotion and justice. Tis his glory that his power mates all powers, and that all other rules give place to his. Materium culpae prosequitur quaesuae, and seeks out a matter for his crimes. Ovid Tristia 4.1.34 As to the second point, why should we not be less cuckolds if we less feared to be so? According to the humor of women whom interdiction incites, and who are more eager, being forbidden. Ubi wellus nolent, ubi nolus volent ultro, concessa pudet ire via. Where thou wilt, they won't. Where thou wilt not, they spontaneously agree. They are ashamed to go in the permitted path. Terence, Eunuchus, Act 4, Scene 8, Verse 43. What better interpretation can we make of Messalina's behavior? She, at first, uh, made her husband a cuckold in private, as is the common use. But, bringing her business about with too much ease, by reason of her husband's stupidity, she soon scorned that way, and presently fell to making open love to her lovers, and to favor and entertain them in the sight of all. She would make him know and see how she used him. This animal, not to be roused with all this, and rendering her pleasures dull and flat by his too stupid facility, by which he seemed to authorize and make them lawful, what does she? Being the wife of a living and healthful emperor, and at Rome, the theater of the world, and in the face of the sun, and with solemn ceremony, and to Silius, who had long before enjoyed her, she publicly marries herself one day that her husband was gone out of the city. Does it not seem as if she was going to become chaste by her husband's negligence, or that she sought another husband who might sharpen her appetite by his jealousy, and who by watching should incite her? But the first difficulty she met with was also the last. This beast suddenly roused these sleepy, sluggish sort of men are often the most dangerous. I have found by experience that this extreme toleration, when it comes to dissolve, produces the most severe revenge. For taking fire on a sudden, anger and fury being combined in one, discharge their utmost force at the first onset. Irarumque omnese fundit habenas. He let loose his whole fury. Aeneid 12.499. He put her to death, and with her a great number of those with whom she had intelligence, and even one of them who could not help it, and whom she had caused to be forced to her bed with scourges. What Virgil says of Venus and Vulcan, Lucretius had better expressed of a stolen enjoyment betwixt her and Mars. Belli fera moinera mavors, arme portains regit, ingremium qui saipe tuum se reicit, aeterno de winctus vulnera mores. Pascit amor avidos inhians in te dea visus, e que tuo pendet, Resupini spiritus ore, hunc tu diva, tuo recubantem corpore sancto, circum fusa super, 
suavis ex ora loquelis funde. Mars, the god of wars who controls the cruel tasks of war, often reclines on thy bosom and greedily drinks love at both his eyes, vanquished by the eternal wound of love, and his breath, as he reclines, hangs on thy lips. Bending thy head over him as he lies upon thy sacred person, pour forth sweet and persuasive words. Lucretius 1, 23. When I consider this rayicket, posket, inhions, molly, fowet, medulas, labefacta, pendit, percurit, and that noble circumfusa, mother of the pretty infuses, I disdain those little quibbles and verbal allusions that have since sprung up. Those worthy people stood in need of no subtlety to disguise their meaning. Their language is downright and full of natural and continued vigor. They are all epigram, not only the tail, but the head, body, and feet. There's nothing forced, nothing languishing, but everything keeps the same pace. Contextus totus virilis est, non sunt circa flosculos occupati. The whole contexture is manly. They don't occupy themselves with little flowers of rhetoric. Seneca Epistles 33 Tis not a soft eloquence, and without offense only. Tis nervous and solid that does not so much please as it fills and ravishes the greatest minds. When I see these brave forms of expression, so lively, so profound, I do not say that tis well said, but well thought. Tis the sprightliness of the imagination that swells and elevates the words. Pectus est quod desertum tacit. The heart makes the man eloquent. Quintilian 10.7 Our people call language, judgment, and fine words full conceptions. This painting is not so much carried on by dexterity of hand is by having the object more vividly imprinted in the soul. Gallus speaks simply because he conceives simply. Horace does not content himself with a superficial expression that would betray him. He sees further and more clearly into things. His mind breaks into and rummages all the magazine of words and figures wherewith to express himself, and he must have them more than ordinary because his conception is so. Plutarch says that he sees the Latin tongue by the things. Tis here the same. The sense illuminates and produces the words. No more words of air, but of flesh and bone. They signify more than they say. Moreover, those who are not well skilled in a language present some image of this, for in Italy I said whatever I had a mind to in common discourse, but in more serious talk I durst not have trusted myself with an idiom that I could not wind and turn out of its ordinary pace. I would have a power of introducing something of my own. The handling and utterance of fine wits is that which sets off language, not so much by innovating it as by putting it to more vigorous and various services and by straining, bending, and adapting it to them. 
They do not create words, but they enrich their own and give them weight and signification by the uses they put them to and teach them unwanted motions, but withal ingeniously and discreetly. And how little this talent is given to all is manifest by the many French scribblers of this age. They are bold and proud enough not to follow the common road, but want of invention and discretion ruins them. There's nothing seen in their writings but a wretched affectation of a strange new style, with cold and absurd disguises, which, instead of elevating, depress the matter. Provided they can but trick themselves out with new words, they care not what they signify, and to bring in a new word by the head and shoulders, they leave the old one, very often more sinewy and significant than the other. There is stuff enough in our language, but there is a defect in cutting out, for there is nothing that might not be made out of our terms of hunting and war, which is a fruitful soil to borrow from and forms of speaking, like herbs, improve and grow stronger by being transplanted. I find it sufficiently abundant, but not sufficiently pliable and vigorous. It commonly quails under a powerful conception. If you would maintain the dignity of your style, you will often perceive it to flag and languish under you, and there Latin steps in to its relief, as Greek does to others. Of some of these words I have just picked out, we do not so easily discern the energy, by reason that the frequent use of them has in some sort of base their beauty, then rendered it common. As in our ordinary language there are many excellent phrases and metaphors to be met with, of which the beauty is withered by age, and the color is sullied by too common handling but that nothing lessens the relish to an understanding man, nor does it derogate from the glory of those ancient authors who, tis likely, first brought those words into luster. The scientists treat of things too refinedly, after an artificial way, very different from the common and natural way. My page makes love and understands it, but read to him Leo Hebraeus, Leo the Jew, Ficinus, Cardinal Bembo, and Mario Equicola all wrote treatises on love. And Ficinus, where they speak of love, its thoughts and actions, he understands it not. I do not find in Aristotle most of my ordinary motions. They are there covered and disguised in another robe for the use of schools. Good speed them. Were I of the trade, I would as much naturalize art as they artificialize nature. Let us let Bembo and Equicola alone. When I write, I can very well spare both the company and the remembrance of books, lest they should interrupt my progress. And also, in truth, the best authors too much humble and discourage me. I am very much of the painter's mind who, having represented Cox most wretchedly ill, charged all his boys not to suffer any natural Cox to come into his shop, and had rather need to give himself a little luster of the invention of Antigenides the musician, who, when he was asked 
to sing or play, took care beforehand that the auditory should, either before or after, be satiated with some other ill musicians. But I can hardly be without Plutarch. He is so universal and so full that upon all occasions, and what extravagant subject soever you might take in hand, he will still be at your elbow and hold out to you a liberal and not-to-be-exhausted hand of riches and embellishments. It vexes me that he is so exposed to be the spoil of those who are conversant with him. I can scarce cast an eye upon him, but I purloin either a leg or a wing. And also for this design of mine, tis convenient for me to write at home in a wild country where I have nobody to assist or relieve me where I hardly see a man who understands the Latin of his paternoster, and of French a little less. I might have made it better elsewhere, but then the work would have been less my own, and its principal end in perfection is to be exactly mine. I readily correct an accidental error, of which I am full, as I run carelessly on, but for my ordinary and constant imperfections, it were a kind of treason to put them out. When another tells me, or that I say to myself, Thou art too thick of figures, this is a word of rough Gascon, that is a dangerous phrase. I do not reject any of those that are used in the common streets of France. They who would fight custom with grammar are triflers. This is an ignorant discourse. This is a paradoxical discourse. That is going too far. Thou makest thyself too merry at times. Men will think thou sayest a thing in good earnest, which thou only speakest in jest. Yes, I know, but I correct the faults of inadvertence, not those of custom. Do I not talk at the same rate throughout? Do I not represent myself to the life? Tis enough that I have done what I designed. All the world knows me in my book, and my book in me. Now I have an apish, imitative quality. When I used to write verses, and I never made any but Latin, they evidently discovered the poet I had last read, and some of my first essays have a little exotic taste. I speak something in another kind of language at Paris than I do at Montaigne. Whoever I steadfastly look upon easily leaves some impression of his upon me. Whatever I consider, I usurp, whether a foolish countenance, a disagreeable look, or a ridiculous way of speaking, and vices most of all, because they seize and stick to me, and will not leave hold without shaking. I swear more by imitation than by complexion, a murderous imitation, like that of the apes, so terrible both in stature and strength, that Alexander met with in a certain country of the Indies, and which he would have had much ado any other way to have subdued. But they afforded him the means, by that inclination of theirs, to imitate whatever they saw done. For by that the hunters were taught to put on shoes in their sight, and to tie them fast with many knots, and to muffle up their heads in caps all composed of running nooses, and to seem to anoint their eyes with glue. So did those poor beasts employ their imitation to their own ruin, 
They glued up their own eyes, haltered, and bound themselves. The other faculty of playing the mimic and ingeniously acting the words and gestures of another purposely to make people merry and to raise their admiration is no more in me than in a stock. When I swear my own oath, tis only by God, of all oaths the most direct. They say that Socrates swore by the dog. Zeno had for his oath the same interjection at this time in use amongst the Italians, capari. Pythagoras swore by water and air. I am so apt, without thinking of it, to receive these superficial impressions, that if I have majesty or highness in my mouth three days together, they come out instead of excellency and lordship eight days after. And what I say to-day in sport and fooling, I shall say the same to-morrow seriously. Wherefore, in writing, I more unwillingly undertake beaten arguments, lest I should handle them at another's expense. Every subject is equally fertile to me. A fly will serve the purpose, and tis well if this I have in hand has not been undertaken at the recommendation of as flighty a will. I may begin with that which pleases me best, for the subjects are all linked to one another. But my soul displeases me, in that it ordinarily produces its deepest and most airy conceits, and which please me best when I least expect or study for them, and which suddenly vanish, having at the instant nothing to apply them to, on horseback, at table, and in bed. But most on horseback, where I'm most given to think. My speaking is a little nicely jealous of silence and attention. If I am talking my best, whoever interrupts me stops me. In traveling, the necessity of the way will often put a stop to discourse, besides which I, for the most part, travel without company fit for regular discourses, by which means I have all the leisure I would to entertain myself. It falls out as it does in my dreams. Whilst dreaming, I recommend them to my memory, for I am apt to dream that I dream. But the next morning I may represent to myself of what complexion they were, whether gay or sad or strange, but what they were, as to the rest, the more I endeavor to retrieve them, the deeper I plunge them into oblivion. So of thoughts that come accidentally into my head, I have no more but a vain image remaining in my memory, only enough to make me torment myself in their quest to no purpose. Well then, laying books aside, and more simply and materially speaking, I find, after all, that love is nothing else but the thirst of enjoying the object desired, or Venus any other thing than the pleasure of discharging one's vessels just as the pleasure nature gives in discharging other parts, that either by immoderation or indiscretion become vicious. According to Socrates, love is the appetite of generation by the mediation of beauty, and when I consider the ridiculous titillation of this pleasure, the absurd crack-brained wild motions with which it inspires Zeno and Cratippus, the indiscreet rage 
the countenance inflamed with fury and cruelty in the sweetest effects of love, and then that austere air, so grave, severe, ecstatic, in so wanton an action, that our delights and our excrements are promiscuously shuffled together, and that the supreme pleasure brings along with it, as in pain, fainting and complaining, I believe it to be true, as Plato says, that the gods made man for their sport. Quinam ista yokandi saiwitia, with a sportive cruelty, or what an unkindness there is in jesting. Claudian in Eutropius 124. And that it was in mockery that nature has ordered the most agitative of actions and the most common to make us equal, and to put fools and wise men, beasts and us, on a level. Even the most contemplative and prudent man, when I imagine him in this posture, I hold him an impudent fellow to pretend to be prudent and contemplative. They are the peacock's feet that abate his pride. Redentum dicere verum quid vetat. What prevents us from speaking truth with a smile? Horace Satires, 1, 1, 24. They who banish serious imaginations from their sports do, says one, like him who dares not adore the statue of a saint, if not covered with a veil. We eat and drink, indeed, as beasts do, but these are not actions that obstruct the functions of the soul. In these we maintain our advantage over them. This other action subjects all other thought, and by its imperious authority makes an ass of all Plato's divinity and philosophy. And yet there is no complaint of it. In everything else a man may keep some decorum. In all other operations submit to the rules of decency. This cannot so much as in imagination appear other than vicious or ridiculous. Find out, if you can, therein any serious and discreet procedure. Alexander said that he chiefly knew himself to be mortal by this act and sleeping. Sleep suffocates and suppresses the faculties of the soul. The familiarity with women likewise dissipates and exhausts them. Doubtless, it is a mark not only of our original corruption, but also of our vanity and deformity. On the one side, nature pushes us on to it, having fixed the most noble, useful, and pleasant of all of her functions to this desire, and on the other side, leaves us to accuse and avoid it as insolent and indecent, to blush at it, and to recommend abstinence. Are we not brutes to call that work Brutus which begets us? People of so many differing religions have concurred in several proprieties, as sacrifices, lamps, burning incense, fasts, and offerings, and amongst others in the condemning this act. All opinions tend that way, besides the widespread custom of circumcision, which may be regarded as a punishment. We have, peradventure, reason to blame ourselves for being guilty of so foolish a production as man, and to call the act, and the parts that are employed in the act, shameful. 
mine truly are now shameful and pitiful. The Essenians, of whom Pliny speaks, kept up their country for several ages without either nurse or baby clouts by the arrival of strangers, who, following this pretty humor, came continually to them, a whole nation being resolute rather to hazard a total extermination than to engage themselves in female embraces, and rather to lose the succession of men than to beget one. To said that Zeno never had to do with a woman but once in his life, and then out of civility, that he might not seem too obstinately to disdain the sex. Diogenes Laertius 7.13 What is there said, however, is that Zeno seldom had commerce with boys, lest he should be deemed a very misogynist. Everyone avoids seeing a man born. Everyone runs to see him die. To destroy him a specious field is to sought out in the face of the sun, but to make him we creep into as dark and private a corner as we can. Tis a man's duty to withdraw himself bashfully from the light to create, but tis glory and the fountain of many virtues to know how to destroy what we have made. The one is injury, the other favor. For Aristotle says that to do anyone a kindness in a certain phrase of his country, is to kill him. The Athenians, to couple the disgrace of these two actions, having to purge the isle of Delos and to justify themselves to Apollo, interdicted at once all births and burials in the precincts thereof. Nostri nosmet pinetet. We are ashamed of ourselves. Terence Formio 1.3.20 there are some nations that will not be seen to eat. I know a lady, and of the best quality, who has the same opinion, that chewing disfigures the face and takes away much from the lady's grace and beauty, and therefore unwillingly appears at a public table with an appetite. And I know a man also who cannot endure to see another eat, nor himself to be seen eating and who is more shy of company when putting in than when putting out. In the Turkish Empire there are a great number of men who, to excel others, never suffer themselves to be seen when they make their repast, who never have any more than one a week, who cut and mangle their faces and limbs, who never speak to anyone, fanatic people who think to honor their nature by disnaturing themselves who value themselves upon their contempt of themselves, and purport to grow better by being worse. What monstrous animal is this that is a horror to himself, to whom his delights are grievous, and who weds himself to misfortune? There are people who conceal their life. Exilioque domos et dulcia limina mutant and change for exile their homes and pleasant abodes. Virgil Georgics 2, 511. And withdraw them from the sight of other men, who avoid health and cheerfulness as dangerous and prejudicial qualities. Not only many sects, but many peoples curse their birth and bless their death, 
and there is a place where the sun is abominated and darkness adored. We are only ingenious in using ourselves ill. Tis the real quarry our intellects fly at, and intellect, when misapplied, is a dangerous tool. O miseri, quorum gaudia crimen habent, O wretched men, whose pleasures are a crime. Pseudo Gallus, 1, 180. Alas, poor man, thou hast enough inconveniences that are inevitable without increasing them by thine own invention. Thou art miserable enough by nature without being so by art. Thou hast real and essential deformities enough without forging those that are imaginary. Dost thou think thou art too much at ease, unless half thy ease is uneasy? Dost thou find that thou hast not performed all the necessary offices that nature has enjoined thee, and that she is idle in thee, if thou dost not oblige thyself to other and new offices? Thou dost not stick to infringe her universal and undoubted laws, but stickest to thy own special and fantastic rules and by how much more particular, uncertain, and contradictory they are, by so much thou employest thy whole endeavor in them. The laws of thy parish occupy and bind thee. Those of God and the world concern thee not. Run but a little over the examples of this kind. Thy life is full of them. End of section 10. Reading by Malone.